You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey White Sox fans, guess what? It's time for another Southside Sox podcast. This is number 94. And it's one of those favorite sorts because it's a meet the players podcast. And this time we are meeting as such, we are meeting Trooper Galactus who, you know, frankly, do we really need to get to know Trooper Galactus? He's been around forever. You know him, you know, as a commenter, you know him now as a writer on the site, but still it's only fair. We're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to get his thoughts on his own fandom. And of course, second half of the podcast, we'll, uh, we'll do the usual run down the 2021 White Sox, look ahead to 2022, and maybe unearth a few, I don't know, a few theories about White Sox spending in the process. Trooper, it's been, it's been a while I've been after you. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for jumping on staff. Thanks for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, as always, we are going to be running, uh, it'll be linked here in this podcast post and also up on site, uh, the actual Meet the Players written uh, questionnaire piece that trooper put together for us uh so we're going to play off of that a little bit but of course read that to learn even more stuff that we don't uh, touch upon in this podcast and i'm going to just start with probably a multi-generational favorite uh for a lot of people whether they came to him late in his career or even maybe before he was up in the majors but frank thomas does seem to be your first and maybe forever always favorite guy on the white Sox. oh absolutely i was in uh I was in junior high when Frank uh, broke into the big, big leagues and, you know, the lunch table, you have those conversations about uh, who's better, the Cubs or the White Sox. And quite frankly, at the time, I don't think that I, one of them had much to talk yeah. about. But, um, you know, Frank was the talk of the town and Frank was the one that was, uh, you know, within a couple of years, he's on the cover of video games. He's on the cover of the magazines. Yeah. He's 
doing stuff that you haven't seen in hadn't seen in the league in years. You were coming across an era where uh, power was relatively absent, and what the people who did have power tended to hit for lower averages and stuff. And Frank just did it all. He hit for average, hit for power, got on base. It, it, just incredible, uh, incredible ability at the plate for a guy who, you know, when you look at him, just looks like a lumbering kind of guy who's going to yeah. strike out. You look at a guy like Frank today and you think, well, this guy's going to hit 50 home runs and strike out 200 mm-hmm. times. And uh, and that that wasn't Frank at all. He was a real scientist at that plate and you know if if frank could play if frank could play center field it it would have been that would have been like the greatest player in the history of the game and as it is trooper you know he he's even at the time you had your tony gwins you had some guys who were you know who were able to you know they had a good eye a demonstrable good eye I mean, that is less and less, you know, and again, obviously it's uh, the, the game is more uh, geared toward uh, strikeout and power pitching anyway. It makes it a little tougher for batters, but Frank was an anomaly then as a power hitter, as you just point out, but today he would be, he would really be almost absolutely unique. And it's a real tribute to him. He's not a product of his times. As you say, this is what he brought to the plate. And for a guy who just looks so big, played football, like, okay, this guy isn't, he's not going to be a thinking man's hitter. Oh, he absolutely was. And, you know, I, I remember back in 05, um, after the World Series and really leading up to the World Series, uh, all of the, it, it was, it was kind of hard as a fan watching how the White Sox and in, in particular Kenny Williams kind of divorced themselves from the franchise's best player. And it's not like Frank's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think he got a lot of unfair criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it's Joey Votto disease now where people like to criticize you because you're not just knocking in everybody yeah. at the time because they're, they're pitching around you all the time. Yeah. That's why he's on base all the time because people don't want to pitch to him. And it's really hard for you to put up certain counting stats when they won't put the ball anywhere near the strike zone mm-hmm. and you know what the strike zone is. And there seemed to be a large contingent of both fans and writers and sportscasters who were of the opinion that Frank needs to swing it balls out of the zone uh, to put more contact on. It's like, that, that's just stupid. Yeah. You know, he's providing value what with what he's doing, the likes of which we had pretty much never mm-hmm. seen in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, and then just the fact that Kenny Williams seemed to kind of have a personal beef with him on yeah. a team. where uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has generally been very loyal to players who have done invaluable service yeah. to his team. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was in my opinion, sort of a blind spot, blind spot yeah. and a black mark on his past, on his history, that he turned such a blind eye to what was going on between Williams and Thomas and just kind of let it happen and sided, and in the end sided with Kenny Williams. And what did Frank go on to do? He went on to be an all-star with, the, with Oakland. Yeah. And that, that was just as a – I found it really hard watching Frank hit his 500th home run in another Oh, uniform. my God. Yep. Yeah. And that, it, it just hurt. And I was yeah. glad that I actually inadvertently wound up going to the game that they retired his number at. And so that was a nice memory for me, at least, was yeah. to see them kind of mend the fences a little bit. And he, now he's now he's on their, you know, pregame shows and yeah. uh, doing pretty well for himself. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see that for him, see him back in the fold. 
And unless I forget, Trooper, first game back for Oakland, homers in his first two at bats. I was at that game, and there were way more people standing up cheering the standing O for for just pulling that off. You know, at a time when you know it and wasn't a yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he would find success just health wise alone, much less you know your skills deteriorate uh, post White Sox. So the fact he comes back and, and of course ends up having a monster season, but that was May. Uh, came back and just sort of said, okay, yeah, this is what you guys could still have. <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't like in 2005 for the brief period he was with us. Mm-hmm. He was, no. Um, like he came in and that, that yeah. team needed like another power mm-hmm. back. Cause basically mm-hmm. like Canerco and I mean, there were other guys who could hit home runs, but none of them were necessarily what you would consider dangerous bats. And Frank came back and just every time – he looked like a different hitter because he, because he wasn't, he was a more aggressive hitter. Mm-hmm. He was belting out home runs at the rate they really needed somebody to do it. Like he was yeah. really just parking it every time he touched the ball. Yeah. Um, and it was, I was sad that he wasn't able to stick yeah. with them into the playoffs. Yeah. And it just goes to show that uh, even today, uh, all, that type of hitter profile is even more rare, but the criticism um, still comes. I mean, look at Yasmani Grandal. He's a guy who uh, admittedly has much more bizarre seasons year after year with a low average. And that's something Frank never had winning a batting title. In fact, but you still hear that criticism of why well, I don't care if you get on base. I don't care if that's how you're a key amount, a, a key portion of your run production besides putting the ball over the fence. We don't care about that. We just need you to be swinging more. We don't want you, you know, taking so many pitches. Yamankato, we, saw it as well i mean he's had much less success you know perhaps in terms of the the strikeout and walk ratio but a guy i mean the idea that fans are going to punish players for having a good eye being smart players and trying to get on base i mean <laughs> there's a lot of contention between uh you know the white Sox and the a's in the past because they seem to <laughs> get our goat every time with trades but you know our fan base is not exactly proving themselves to be as wise as they could be when there's this continuous criticism of guys who are run producers by just getting on base by any means possible. Well, it's, it's, nef- don't even get me started on Yasmani <laughs> I hit what homers last year. He's one of the best power hitting catchers in all of baseball. And he is provide and he does it switch hitting. So some of that power comes left-handed yep. and this is a that's very short on left-handed yep. power. And he's doing a lot of things that this, t- he frames the ball well. Mm-hmm. So he's not sending innings. We, we watch yeah. some of the, literally the worst framers and <laughs> and now i see people just like oh you know get zach collins more time back like <laughs> oh my god zach collins is literally inning for inning the worst catcher yeah. in the- and yeah. people are caring for more of that what yeah. because they is 80 like his 80 ops plus in the lineup more <laughs> off <sighs> i i don't get it i don't get it. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, of Zach Collins when he's going to be like 26 years old. Yeah. Like he he is not he is not the future. He shouldn't even Zach Collins is okay as a desperation backup plan to go to because at least you kind of get an average bat for a catcher out of him maybe. Yeah. But the idea that he's the primary backup right now to a guy who just who has been having knee trouble is it's just to me so preposterous like of all the of all the cheap pickups that Rick Hahn has been making this offseason where you know it's obvious he's had a severe limitation on the amount of dollars and the number of years he's been able to give out uh, and maybe he'll you know if he wants to go ahead and surprise us great but <laughs> history 
guess that's not yeah. happening. And, yeah. you know, in a, in a catching market where you're, you got the best catcher on the market for, I mean, granted it was a team record contract, but still mm-hmm. that $73 million contract is not huge <laughs> to, to max out at the position in mm-hmm. the idea couldn't get a you could have gotten a better backup catcher somebody who doesn't mm-hmm. turn you know somebody who doesn't make life harder for your pitching staff for just a couple million bucks mm-hmm. and we're still waiting to see that yeah if we're going to credit rick for the what turned out to be a great move although i don't think he even could have hoped it would have worked out as well as it did in getting uh, james O'Can on the team with grandal if we're going to credit him for that of course we have to ding him for year after year after year after year of the deanna navarro's uh and the uh, avilas etc and 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 even now sitting pat with guys who you know at this point frankly it's not even it's not even a bat situation i mean you can maybe make the argument that you're mean except he can't even come close to catching it's not even that there's a good bat no field backup catcher which you could probably live with not ideal but you could live with it, it's not even a case of that it's just a this is the best we could s- scrape up to back up oh. a catcher, the most important position on the field. I was really hoping for a lot more out of uh, Collins because this is a guy who out of college was touted as one of the best bats in that, in that draft, one of the most polished bats. And it was assumed that he was going to hit. Mm-hmm. And that the only question was, is this, is this guy just destined to go to first base in right. DH? Because every scout who looked at him said, I, this guy can't move behind the plate. He doesn't have skills back there. He doesn't have mobility back there that's necessary. And since the White Sox drafted him, and they've insisted ever since they drafted him, he was going to stay a catcher. That has been the primary focus of Zach Conner's development. And he's still yep. the worst catcher in the league. So the idea that Zach Collins is magically going to get better at what he has been working at primarily since he was drafted in 20, what, 2016 is to me somewhat ludicrous. Yeah. And there, and there's still, and the bat got, the bat did not yeah. turn out what we hoped yeah. it would. It turned out to be a well below bar, average bat. And maybe you could say the bat might get better, but it's still not going to justify him catching. Yeah, and and what he seems to have, Trooper, is perhaps contagious because you had Sebi Zavala up last year, a guy who probably should have finished out the year, but they had to bring uh, um, Collins back up in order not to burn an option. Okay, I get it. You got to just maneuver, and it's uh, six and one, half dozen of the other anyway. But, I mean, it does seem like maybe it's contagious because Sebi has he's taken a decided um, turn downward defensively where at least he was a guy, uh, the flip of what I was just discussing, you know, the, the good bat no field catcher, at least if you get a guy who can just defend and maybe has an arm to throw runners out, um, and doesn't hit, okay, you could probably live, probably not a World Series contending team. That's probably not the backup you need for a World Series contender, but for a normal uh, roster, you could live with that. And, you know, Sebi can't um, really give either any longer, anyhow. So now we have to look at like, okay, maybe Carlos Perez can make the jump and he won't he won't catch the disease. Uh, the idea that a World Series contending team is this bereft at such an important position is, is, is pretty painful. Yeah, and Sebi, to, to, to his credit, I mean, Sebi, I guess, was never touted as a good, like a good plate general back there. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was just like, he was like an, an average framer mm-hmm. and on a team that was employing a lot of really, really bad framers over the years that were really hurting their pitchers. Um, that was like his value. Yeah. Uh, we, he briefly showed some signs <laughs> that some life in that bat. Uh, but 
Triple A just completely ate him alive. Yeah. Uh, so he, so his only value at this level was going to come from what he provided behind the plate. And as we found out, yeah. uh, big league, big league pitching is not something he handles well behind the plate. Yeah. And uh, aside from maybe average framing metrics, uh, you're giving away a lot. It's not like with Yasmani Grandel, where people like to gripe and moan about the things he doesn't do, like blocking pitches in the dirt or whatever, never minding that he's still one of the best framing catchers in the game. He's still yeah. one of the best hitting catchers in the game. Mm-hmm. Like he provides exceptional value that m- more than papers over uh, the things that he is, uh, his shortcomings. Mm-hmm. the other catchers they have don't have anything that like provides that boost that they need to make you ignore the things that they're bad at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's not forget uh trooper, uh, Pakota, at least however much you want to put into that. I mean, they're projecting him not only as the best, uh, Yasmani, the best catcher in the game in 2022, but I want to say the fifth best player overall, uh, and that's not, I mean, they're, they're extremely, extremely high on him, not just matching what he did last year, but extending on it. And let's just, you know, fingers crossed he stays healthy for a number of reasons, which I think we've outlined very well, but just simply the fact that this guy produces on the field, perhaps like maybe nobody else on the team, given that he's consistently, he has been consistently on the field of Luis Roberts and that, you know, we're, we're getting half seasons out of. So yeah, Yasmani, I mean, if you got to pick a linchpin for this team, uh, this year, you know, he might be it. Um, but, gonna, but if you're, it's it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, you know, I understand not everybody's gonna take projections the same. Mm-hmm. Not everybody thinks of catchers as the same value as position players. But when it comes down to it, catchers play fewer games, but every single pitch that happens, yep. they're they're involved in the game more than every other position player. So that's what makes them a bit more unique. Now, Yasmani Grandal as like the fifth most valuable player in the game. I don't know that I necessarily buy that because if you're, if you got 30 people playing a fantasy league, I don't know that the guy who's picking fifth is going to be thinking, yes, Yasmani Grandal Mm -hmm. is still on board. Um, But I do, I do think that, there's an argument for him to be to be made that he is probably in terms of uh, value that he provides over the course of a long season that, yeah, he could be considered like yeah. a top 25 kind of player. Yeah. Hey, we have jumped right into discussing White Sox baseball, and we're going to continue doing that. We're going to take a quick break, come back to the second half where we discuss 2021 and look ahead to 2022 with Trooper Galactus. Uh, hang with us. Uh, got about a minute of message. Bear through that, and we'll be back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Hey, White Sox fans. Hey, guess what? We're back. Second half of the Meet the Players podcast with Trooper Galactus, a guy I've been chasing really almost from the moment I took over here at Southside Sox. He has relented. Uh, finally, yeah, what, let, let's, let's kick it off with this. What did make you relent, start writing, expand what your ideas are? Obviously, the reason why I wanted to get you writing more is because I'd read your comments and say, man, this guy's obviously extremely bright, uh, isn't afraid to argue, isn't afraid to get in the mix with it, you know, in terms of, you know, what the White Sox should do, A or B. Uh, what, what finally uh, wore you down enough to, to want to do this? Uh, if I recall correctly, it was just me getting pissed off. <laughs> uh, and it was largely a way for me to vent. Um, because I think the first article I wrote, not <laughs> one after they, after they let, after Manny Machado signed with the Padres. Mm. <laughs> and I, I basically told them, you know what, first of all, stop lying to us. Yeah. Of all, if you're not going to spend the money, then be good at what money you do spend. Yeah. And don't, you know, cause I, I, I'm sick of hearing these excuses for Rick Hahn at this point, because yes, it is not Rick Hahn's fault that Jerry has, you know, not opened up the payroll previously that Jerry won't let him sign these, you know, 10 year deals and these, these nine figure deals or whatever. And that he's always handcuffed by that. Well, you know what? There's other teams that are far more successful than Rick Hahn's white Sox that have similar, if not worse restrictions. Yeah. And- you know what they don't do? They don't sign Adam LaRoche to be a star player. They don't trade for Yonder Alonso. They don't sign Jeff Keppinger to be the answer at third base or God knows where. All right. These are these are like self-inflicted wounds. And and I don't want it seem like I'm just trashing on Rick Hahn because Rick Hahn has had some mm-hmm. things he's done exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And I want to very clear that Rick Hunt, what Rick Hunt is good at, he is very good at mm-hmm. the extensions that they assign their young players to. This is yep. something Rick Hunt is arguably yep. better at than any other GM yep. in the and, and and he hasn't done it in a uh, what is it like an uh, was it Ozzy Albies like the Braves that mm-hmm. they signed for like next no. to nothing? Like you don't look at this this contracts that Rick Hunt has signed and think, geez, they are just exploiting mm-hmm. this. Like he has signed very fair contracts, I think, mm-hmm. for sides. Mm-hmm. And they've been successful with them. Um, and even more important, probably the one thing that you could say Rick Hunt has been most successful, that it's most important that he was successful at, is when he traded away the talent, his most valuable pieces, he got value in return. He trades away Chris Sale. He gets Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech. Is that getting Chris Sale back? No, but it's still getting value back. It's still getting centerpieces for your next team. He trades away Adam Eaton. He gets Lucas Giolito, his ace, in return. He gets Dane Dunning, which he flips for Lance Lynn. He gets Ronaldo Lopez, who isn't as good as we might have hoped he would, but he's still a depth piece. And uh, the Quintana trade, you know, you got your starting left fielder and yep. you got a centerpiece of your rotation in Dylan Cease. So, you know, we're still waiting for Bryant Fleet and Matt Rose to show up, but whatever. <laughs> uh, he got value. He got yeah. he got core pieces out of those trades. Because and and whether or not you think he got uh something as good as what he gave up, that's not the important thing. The important yeah. thing is he got pieces that are central to another window of competition. Because the alternative is you become the Miami Marlins. Yeah. Where you trade away two straight MVPs, yep. and you get literally nothing back, yeah. because uh, you look at like the the centerpiece of 
their trades of Yelich and Stanton was supposed to be uh, Lewis Brinson, who just signed a minor league contract with the Astros yeah. because he's he was terrible. Yeah. Can you imagine if like instead of like imagine in the Chris Sale trade instead of getting Yuan Mankata, we had gotten uh, Andrew Benintendi. Yeah. Is Benintendi a bad player? No, but he is not somebody who's going to right. be central to a competition. Yeah. Or imagine if the second piece was like uh, I, uh like somebody else in the system. The Red because Red Sox had a great system at the time. I think like Trey Ball was a part of the system or mm-hmm. something that was one of their top prospects. And like getting Moncada and Kopech is a big deal because the alternatives could have been far worse. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Washington system the same way. You know, yep. it, there there were a lot of guys in, that, in what was a very deep system, and you know, you, you could have gone and gotten Carter Keboom instead of Dane Dunning, and then you would have been in, probably been in trouble. Yep. Well, and the and the guys he's committed to now, you can say they're no brainers. Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yon Moncada. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> on the short list of no brainers on the White Sox, those would be the extension candidates. But you can still you can whiff on those. Even the bummer deal, as much as that's like almost no commitment, you can whiff on that. Bummer could be out of baseball somehow. I mean, these aren't necessarily such easy money. He's still doing the deal, and he's doing it in a way as you as you say. Even though White Sox still caught a little criticism for. Uh, low balling Luis Robert. It's, it's, you know, a matter of committing to guys uh, and then having it pay off. And, you know, it's still early in these arcs and these, in these uh, contract arcs, but I mean, so far so good. I mean, Yomakata has essentially paid off his contract in terms of just the value he's provided, you know, already. And I understand uh, underwear is going to get a little bunchy when, uh, you know, the numbers start going up to 20 million a year, 15 million a year, but, you know, knowing, and not that you can convince fans of this, but knowing, geez, He's already paid off his contract. Watch it. This is gravy now. Uh, I know that's going to be a, a hard thing to, to convince fans of, but I mean, he's already this year. He's going to basically give back that contract with with the performance he has this year. So uh, that's Hans, another thing that Han's done really well. Yeah, Rick Han's problem uh, is kind of, in my opinion, hand in hand with all of these contract extensions. Now, it, Rick Han's problem is messaging <laughs> because you know people yeah. out there like, oh yeah, we're in the mix for. These guys, we're the big, we're big players. There's no real payroll restrictions. There's no contract restrictions. And this year, it's like finally, there's no payroll restrictions. But it looks like there's still contract restrictions. Yeah. And I don't think they're very honest about that. Yeah. Because when you, when you, here's the thing: is that when they said, "Oh yeah, we're going to put together, assemble this core of players," and once we've assembled this core of players that start spanning out, then we can add to them where we need to, right? And that's when we spend the money to make that all just come together. Well, when you extended them, when you, when you signed some of these guys to contract extensions, yes, that's good. But those contracts always will keep those will keep ascending, right? The yeah. longer these go on, like the, the years that they're most cost effective was the front end. Right. And refused to spend in the front end of that. So now we're getting to where you're adding $30 million <laughs> into the payroll every year without adding a single person because these guys all get raises. Now my, I thought when they signed these guys, that part of the calculus was they're creating cost certainty because if you just let guys go to arbitration, don't know what they're going to make. And you at least kind of get on the books. Like, you know what your payroll is going to be moving forward in a three, four year window. And 
then you're able to then you're able to better plan how you add to that. And instead of doing that, they've come out and Rick Hunt has openly said, like, oh, well, look, look, we spent the money, <laughs> except the money was not spent on bringing in anybody from oh. outside the organization. And they're <laughs> doing Look at the money they spent this offseason. Hey, look, we've spent $40 million. Well, $16 million of that was bringing back a crappy a, a reliever who sucked for you. Mm-hmm. Another, what, 15 and a half or $16 million was spent bringing back your utility player. And it's like, don't, you can't really take a lot of credit for, oh, look, we spent the money when it's known you need to add and mm-hmm. you're just spending the money to retain a core of players that have not gotten the job done. Yeah. You don't get credit for, for filling up the gas tank. You need the gas tank to drive the car. And he's sort of like, yeah, pat me on the back because the tank's full. Okay. Not really. Rick Hahn's kind of like becoming like the Eli Whitney of uh, baseball GMs here where he's interested in creating a team of interchangeable parts, right? Like, okay. So Leary Garcia gets injured. Well, Hey, we still got uh, we still got Harrison, uh, Josh Harrison, and you know if one of our one of our flame throwing relievers gets uh, hurt, well, we got another three flame throwing right. that we can use, and it's like, well, okay, that's great, but or look in right field, it's like, oh well, if Adam Engel gets hurt, then we got uh, right. Andrew Vaughn, right. and if Andrew hurt, then we got Gavin Sheets, and we got right. all this. It's like, except those are all just like not those are all kind of potential solutions yeah. but not real known solutions like you don't have any known quantities sure sure and instead of investing in like here's the thing is that if some of these guys get hurt it, it, you don't feel it like the thing is last year Luis yeah. Robert got felt it because you can't replace Luis Robert right. Aloy gets hurt and you feel it because you can't replace Aloy Jimenez uh, when Grandal got hurt, you started finding out how irreplaceable Grandal yeah. is in this lineup. Yeah. Well, if your additions are all of these guys who, if they get hurt, well, you know, that's fine. We just got another one. Well, the reason you got another one is because these guys grow on trees because they're replaceable for yes. a reason. They're, they're average for- players. Yes. And you want to get that guy that's irreplaceable. Yes. The guy okay, if this guy's performing to his potential and he goes down, like, that hurts, and it's nice. It's a luxury that we have an average player to fall back on. But you want that top, you want that top-of-the-line production. You want that star, and we're just not getting that. Yeah. And, and, and we had wide-open positions with players available and uh, that, that the White Sox just refused to invest in, mm-hmm. that they refused to take on the risk. And this is, uh, you know, this is kind of like I'm getting into this conspiracy theory now a little bit where I get the feeling that Jerry Reinsdorf told, had told Rick Hahn, you can spend like $200 million, but I don't want any of that money on the books past like 2024. Mm. Because if you look at the if you look at the layout of White Sox contracts moving forward. The only guaranteed contract on the books for 2025 is the last guaranteed year of Luis Roberts deal for $15 million. Uh, I, they have a couple players, I think, that are due buyouts. Uh, I think Jimenez has a buyout that has his first buyout. I think there's an option year for Moncada that's a buyout. 
Bummer has a buyout. That's it. Like Tim agencies, T- Tim Anderson's a free agent yep. after t- at, in 2025. There's nobody on the books then. And given that Jerry Reinsdorf, it's been put out there that Jerry Reinsdorf, given that he's up there in age, that his intent is to sell the White Sox. Like he's not leaving the White Sox to his children. Right. I, I think the Bulls are his legacy franchise right. that he's passed family and they've said the White Sox are going to be sold. So my conspiracy theory is that Jerry's plenty willing to spend in the here and now in order to drive the value of the franchise up and off of, you know, playoff success or regular season success, drive up, drive up the attendance and it drives up the value in the here and now. And then if the books are clean, when he sells the team, it makes it that much more appealing to buyers. Yeah, and, you know that could just be a conspiracy theory, but I, I mean, based on the current evidence we have, it's kind of hard not to think that that's the that's a very possible restriction that Rick Hahn is running right now, where he has to keep keep the like we're our window is now until twenty twenty four. Yeah, and that we're gonna we might be looking at some lean years because there's no farm system. Yeah. All, guys are going to be free agents some of them are going to and they're not they're not getting any players who are going to be here past that yeah that's a gut punch i mean especially given that we're not talking about 2030 we're talking about uh three seasons from now uh it's frightening and just because it fits doesn't mean it confirms the conspiracy but the fact that it even fits that framework uh oh boy yeah i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to revisit this in, in podcasts in the future because, uh, yeah, that's a frightening proposition, but it's not inconceivable. Um, well, they they had to get Jerry to like. I think they had to prod Jerry just to sign John Danks to a five year deal. Mm-hmm. Oh that yeah, was there was a rule. Yes, that was a rule. Was he, uh, was he a free agent? I can't even remember. But either way, like they signed signed John Danks to a five year deal, and that went south right away. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say it was necessarily a bad idea per se, but it, it did not pan out. It hurt the White Sox. You know, they they went through years of contention trying to shoehorn John Dinks into their plans because yeah. they were felt forced to. And you haven't, we haven't seen uh, a five year contract since. Nope. And we, <laughs> this is the window of competition. Yeah. All right. So on, uh, you know, when I thought that, like, there was a whole lot of back and forth between fans about the the 2019 offseason about signing guys like Machado or signing right. a guy like Harper who's still gonna what they're still not even 30 years old nope and we're still like the White Sox are well into their window of competition and they would have benefited from an under 30 elite talent and instead we're going after all of these like mid-level guys that are in their early to mid 30s and because that's that's the alternative. And what gets me is that it's not just a matter of what they're not doing now. It's what they haven't done for the past several off seasons, because like 2019 should have been a part of the ramp up like 2019 yeah. yep. could have probably should have added somebody who's going to help in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And they didn't. Oh. Uh, there was no there were no. And then you got to 2020. And you added Yasmani Grandal. Big. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And it adds a lot of value to your lineup. It was the best guy at his position. And you mm-hmm. gave him a 
And, but it was a four-year deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with all it cost them was a four-year deal. Who's the? What are the other major deals we got during this window of contention that the whites, when the White Sox decided to, to up the voltage in 2020, they gave out a four-year deal. And what else? Keiko was a three-year deal with an Keiko option. three-year. You know, they did pivot to Keiko, which, you know, obviously is a huge uh, downgrade from uh, Wheeler, who they thought they had. But, uh, you know, credit that they got somebody in, which they're not doing this offseason. And uh, Liam Hendricks, three-year deal with, a, depending on how you feel. Yeah. Since fourth year is like an option year, but they technically would have to pay yeah, him. All sort of isn't, but yeah. yeah. It's kind of a four-year deal, but not really. Yeah. Uh, and everybody else is like, okay, Leary Garcia. Three-year deal. <laughs> He's <Literally. with> Leary. <laughs> in our show, and Leary Garcia got like the third longest contract. <laughs> like, like he got one oh. of the longest contracts during this window. Boy, I didn't think I was going to be profoundly depressed in talking to you for this podcast. Let's take a slight turn around the corner and force ourselves to look at what might be just a three-year window, Trooper. And this is what I want to know. Uh, There are a lot of question marks, even though this team going into the season uh, seems certainly definitively strongest in the division. Making the playoffs seems an afterthought, although who knows? Uh, Certainly seems to be one of the elite of the American League, uh, looking at certainly probably no weaker than fourth in the American League and can only go up from there. Uh, What are some of the things or what is the thing that you need to see in 2022, Trooper, that's going to make you say, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I know going in, we're feeling good, but, but of the question marks, are there a couple of things that come to mind? They're like, all right, once I see this clicking, I'm feeling decidedly better about the prospects of this team. If nothing else changed, like if we can. Right. Assumption that yeah. there's no other a safe team. one. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody. No, there's no uh, trade for Kettle Marte coming. Right. There's no, Orto or right. Nick Castellano signing in the offing, right? right? Those, I think it's reasonable to assume those things are not happening short of like one of them, just like a uh, Edwin Encarnacion deal where you get yeah. to the end agent period and just exactly. like, they're right. Got to play. Right. Uh, which would be great. Yeah. I just would don't help. know if that would happen. Yeah. I, what I want to see that would make me feel better is not anything that happens with the major league team. I don't think that the White Sox are, I think that they can't sleep on the Detroit Tigers. And I think they can't sleep on the Kansas city Royals. Those are teams that granted in terms of talent on hand are not on the White Sox level, but they all, they also are teams that, you know, the baseball is weird. It's a long season Mm -hmm. and projections are always like the 50% solution. So what happens if one team hits its 90% solution right. and another for sure. 20%? Now you've got a much more even ball game. And that's where if the White Sox have things go wrong mm-hmm. and Detroit or Kansas city had, and, or the Minnesota, even they're, they're, yep. they're not. Done. And they could really turn things yep. around in a hurry. Yep. Uh, those are teams that, you know, if everything goes right for them, and that, you know, it's like obviously that's the White Sox plan, right? <laughs> yeah. Everything right. was right, um, but you know, if everything was right, you can't sleep. You can't be sleeping on them. You can't no. take it for granted that for you sure. won the Central. You've done enough, I think, to win the Central, but don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. 
what I want to see that will make me feel a lot more comfortable that the White Sox are not only built to just dominate the AL Central, but also that, my God, we might actually be able to make some noise in the playoffs is somebody in the minor leagues, preferably a couple guys in mm-hmm. the high need to just step up and show us something serious. I like see. we had a couple of good stories last year with yeah. Gilbert as he made his, he's made his mm-hmm. way up to play. He looks like he could be a legitimate option. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I trust Gilbert to be an answer at second base, but if he is, that'd be a big boost. Oh, God, to the- yeah. Well, there's and, your free agent, right? You know, and, and also, he's also more than capable of playing shortstop. So mm-hmm. you get more depth if something happens to Tim Anderson, yeah. like you'll, Sanchez planning out would be great. Uh, Popeye, Jose, Jose Rodriguez, mm-hmm. my guy, uh, a guy who showed us a lot, but it was a lot that was in the, the low minor. Yeah. Uh, if he can show that he belongs in the high minors, I mean, you got a 21 year old who's making his way into the high minors right now. And if he shows you something that like his development last year that he showed is legit, there's mm-hmm. another really good infield option who might be a kind the kind of guy who can give you a bit of a boost. Mm-hmm. I like Jake Berger. Uh, this is a team that needs more power. Jake Berger has that. Gavin Sheets, I think he's a legit left-handed hitter. I just don't know what his ceiling is. Like my speculation based upon his minor league track record, how he developed and what his swing was like was that he was not a guy who was necessarily going to pound out 50 home runs, but be more like a sort of like a Mark Grace yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a way where he's not, you know, maybe he'd hit, more home runs than grace. Like I think Gavin has 20 home run power, 20, 25 home run power, but you know, he, he's a bit more of an, uh, just an all around offensive player than somebody who dominates in a single category. But, you know, last year he actually hit at a 30 at a pace that would have given yeah. him around 30 runs over the course of the season. Yeah. So if Kevin sheets develops into a 30 homer left-handed threat, that's another, that's another place where development wise, uh, that provides a huge boost. And there's, there's a couple other interesting names that I think are much more that have obviously potential, but we don't know what we can possibly expect out of them. You know, uh, Yoelki Cespedes, I think has possibly the highest ceiling of anybody in this system. Cause he's one of the few guys who you can legit point to as a, as a five tool player, you know, Mike Rodolfo has the best power. And if there's one guy who, a bat that you could point to in the minor leagues right, right now. If man, if this guy just figures <laughs> out this one thing, like this guy's going to be yeah. kind of, this guy's going to be Galactus destroyer of worlds. <laughs> uh, and, and Mike Rodolfo is that guy. I think Mike yeah. Rodolfo like 45, 50 home run power. It's just a matter of, he just can't make quality contact enough right. because he's easily exploited by higher level pitching. Yeah. Again, if he figures out what he needs to tweak to make, to realize his potential you're talking about a, a real force and Yoelki Cespedes is similar to that where I think he's got the raw he doesn't have the raw power of Adolfo but he has functional power mm-hmm. as speed uh this is a guy who has like 20 20 30 30 potential mm-hmm. play all three outfield positions he's got a cannon for an arc yeah. just like a, he's much more athletic than Adolfo is and I think that if Yoelki Cespedes Again, he's got the same problems Adolfo does, where he does not just does not consistently make quality contact. He swings at way too much, uh, especially things outside of the zone. So he's a guy that 
major league pitchers look at and just are able to exploit the weaknesses in his approach. But again, if he can make those minor adjustments, you're talking about another guy who potentially could be a big addition. And these are the, and it's unfortunate that this is where we kind of have to look for those because I would like them to sign a guy like Conforto or Castellanos. It should be both. Yeah. Who's going that guy and then if and then if he isn't or if something right. happens well okay yes. now guy who potentially maybe might be that right. but it's yep. a guy who, and it, it just it just astonishes me that anybody suggests that like oh we can't block Yolki Cespedes or Oscar Colas by signing a right fielder <laughs> like what is this guy like you Colas <laughs> hasn't even played a professional game in the United States and and yeah. he's like, you don't want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> I mean, what what yeah. part of, what part of having more good players than roster spots is unappealing to people? Is is the part that like I want to have the problem? I want to have a problem of more players than we know what to do with. Beyond <laughs> we, the only time, yeah. okay, to be fair, the only way we technically have that problem is we have more first basemen. Yeah. than than. Yeah. and spots to play first. Basically. Yeah, Rick's Rick's nightmare is he just doesn't want to have that conversation with Gavin with Gavin Sheets and says, you know, Gavin, I know you did pretty well last year, but you just we're gonna have to send you to Charlotte for a little bit. You know, you'll probably be right back up. There'll be an injury, but I just he just doesn't want to have that conversation. If, if Rick Hahn, if Rick Hahn were the were the GM in the <laughs> we would have had we would have had Albert Bell in left field and Frank Thomas in center field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to uh we're going to wrap this up with a simple question, uh, Trooper, and uh, it may lead to a longer answer, but I'd like to know if you are going to enjoy the 2022 Chicago White Sox because of, or in spite of, manager Tony LaRusso. Oh, absolutely, in spite of. <laughs> I, I have been very, very clear yes. that I'm happy. You could, they couldn't find anybody. <laughs> to manage this team and they get a guy who hadn't managed in a decade a guy <laughs> a guy who has been who, whose most recent track record in professional baseball was overseeing the absolute implosion of mm-hmm. pretty a pretty talented Arizona Diamondbacks yep. that has a history of nepotism mm-hmm and it's like, yeah, I get it. He's a Hall of Fame manager. That was 10 years ago. And it's not the same game. We saw last year what happened. Like, there have been tweaks and changes to this game that have happened. Yeah. That Tony Russo went out, and because he's not aware of those things, you get your high-priced closer yeah. as a pinch runner in the yeah. 10th inning. I have... Like, I have a theory that I'm going to share back. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't shared it on a podcast yet. I haven't written about it yet. It came to me a couple of weeks ago and it sort of hit me like a bolt out of the blue. And I don't think it's anything particularly insightful, but we, we both know trooper that the white Sox haven't had a real managerial search since Ozzy Guillen in uh, 2004 was hired. And of course he managed for a few years. So it's been a good say 15 years since they've had a legitimate search. And 
even up to the Ricky Renneria firing, you know, there's a lot of head scratching about like, well, geez, what, you know, why, you know, people point to the one playoff game performance where he was bent over, looked like he was overmatched. That seems like an awfully dumb reason to fire a guy, but okay. Where he was too close to the team. All right. They've hired Robin Ventura without any search. They hired Ricky Renneria without a search. They hired obviously Tony Russo without a search. And it sort of struck me that the reason they couldn't even talk to real candidates going all the way back to Ozzy is that I think Tony La Russa has been looming over the White Sox since Ozzy. I think you have to go into the discussions in 2011 after that season, and you have to say there's been this rider attached by from Jerry for now more than a decade or for a decade that says, if Tony becomes available, we're hiring him. And guys like Robin said, okay, I can deal with that. Guys like Ricky, I guess, said, well, what's there? what are the chances? It's been 10 years. Yeah, I can deal with that. And I think this is why the White Sox not only couldn't hire a legitimate guy, but I think they couldn't even talk to lest they become a laughingstock more so than they already are with the ridiculous searches that they pretty much have to tell anybody they're talking to or much less hire. If Tony becomes available, Jerry wants him and he is going to hire him. I think the reason Ricky maybe didn't stick around is because I think the offer was, you know what? Tony's coming back. You can be the bench coach again, and maybe we'll give you the job back. Uh, and I think those were the terms that Ricky said, hell with that. I mean, again, this isn't like some great theory, but I think it, it it's, I think the, the sickness, the addiction to Tony doesn't just affect us a year ago when he's hired and we're all shocked. I think this is affected and, and hurt the team now for a decade or more. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know that I'd necessarily go as far like, I did, man, I thought I had a conspiracy theory for this podcast, man. Wait a minute. Help me. <laughs> I jumped I, you. I said production, Brett. <laughs> hey, here's this useless chaff that we's, uh, we've added to the, to the crew, but I, I am just baffled still to this day by the addition of Tony in that. What has, what did Tony show us in 2021? That you didn't get out of Rick Renteria. Mm-hmm. You know, Rick had a couple of years in man. What? He was a manager for, what, three seasons? Mm-hmm. And I thought he got better yes. over time. Mm-hmm. Like, was were you still going to say Rick Renteria was the, a great manager? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I thought that there the things that we thought he was bad at when he started, mm-hmm. he got better at. Mm-hmm. And he was always a guy that the 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 players seemed to rally behind he never seen i never got the feeling like he was throwing somebody under the bus uh and he he was no. a stand guy and and he was learning on the job he was he was mm-hmm. improving improving the, on the job yeah and he was doing it with a lot less than what tony had you know it's like <laughs> if people want to point to oh look at how how crappily he managed game 3 he had Dane Dunning starting that game. All right. Yeah, let's not overlook he had, that. <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have breakout Dylan Cease. All right. Do you remember what Dylan Cease was in 2020? Do you remember do you remember what Dane Dunning was in 20? Like that's what he had to deal with. Because he had already thrown his two best All right. like you got one good start and one bad start, right? And after yeah. that, two. And you pray yeah. for a long rainouts. <laughs> he threw his two Cy Young Award candidates out there, games one and game two, and he had nothing left for game three. He had to yeah. do it on the fly. And guess what? His best reliever had to right. exit one inning. 
Yep. What's the guy like? There was not much more that Rick Renteria could do. Did he do a great job managing that game, not necessarily, but you're talking about a guy who really got put on the spot by a situation that his GM put him into because mm-hmm. because he didn't he didn't trade for Lynn before the trade deadline. Can you imagine how different yep. we felt about 2020 in retrospect? Yep. We've gotten Lance Lynn, yep. and I don't look. I don't know what the ask was. But in retrospect, if you could have had Lance Lynn for that 2020 run, would you have traded Michael Kopech to get that? Would you have traded Dane Dunning plus, I don't know, pick any one of their prospects? Right. Pick pick most of any uh, – heck, uh, Garrett Crochet. Mm-hmm. Toss him that deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I plausible would, for sure. I would – I would really like to have seen a White Sox team in yeah. 20 with Lance Lynn on their side yeah. in retro. And yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, I, it's kind of upsetting because, you know, you move forward and now a guy who was a Cy Young award and man, talk about a guy who's really just like fallen out of favor with White Sox fans uh, in Dallas Keuchel. Yeah. The guy signed a three-year deal and he was bad in year two of it. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to make it from him. He was bad. But yeah. you know what? Without Dallas Keuchel in 2020, mm-hmm. you didn't have that first playoff spot. Yeah. Oh, for sure. My God. As you said, he's was, exciting. He's under two ERA. Come on. I know it was for 12 games, but those were the 12 it, games. Your, your White Sox do not make the playoffs in 2020 no. without Keuchel being a Cy Young Award candidate. No. So, and that's the way free agent contracts work. You yeah. you what you need to out of them in that opening year and you make it work around yeah. that. Yeah. You make sure working around that because don't, don't take for granted any, like the longer those free agent contracts go, the work they'll get. Yeah. Now, uh, readers, listeners, viewers, I know you had high expectations for the Trooper Galactus meet the players. I don't know if you thought it was going to be quite so conspiracy theory laden, but Hey, that's a bonus. So you never know what you're going to get when you tune in. Uh, Extra surprises, always over-delivering in value. And that's what we've done this time around with Trooper. Uh, we'll be doing this again. Obviously, you've, you've already uh, heard from uh, Trooper on a couple of podcasts we've had already. He's continuing to write for us. So, you know, hear from and maybe even see a little bit more of him, uh, of course, in this long season we have coming up and the season that, in spite of some of our skepticism and conspiracy theories, we both have some pretty high hopes for, despite how underwhelming the offseason's been. But uh, Trooper, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for finally joining staff and participating uh, with the great writing you've done, some really terrific analysis. You helped carry us all through the offseason, which was a rough offseason. Appreciate that. And I hope that we can count on some of that uh, in season as well as things go go well, or maybe go a little less well. Uh, and hopefully you can provide some answers for us as we're searching for reasons to continue to believe and cheer and hope that this postseason is going to be better than the last postseason. Appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate everybody again for listening, uh, reading, watching. Without you, uh, we're not here. Uh, we'll have more with Trooper. And of course, I'll be around, I suppose, as well, providing the conspiracy theories I can, whatever I can dig them up. Uh, probably sooner than you're ready for them. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody.